Hello, listeners. I'll be your narrator for this evening. My name is Jack, and these are the stories I wrote. Jocelyn of the Stars, Chapter 1, Getting to Know You Day 1, Year 2031 Jocelyn looks out of her cabin window. The stars pulse in an elaborate blaze, and her eyes are fixed on their dance. Jocelyn's cabin is decorated with photos and letters from her friends and family. Her comforter is adorned with a dream-catcher pattern and a large I'm quality Throw pillow sits fluffed on her bed. A thousand miles away from earth, she has made herself a home, a place of bliss and comfort. A knock on her door breaks her transfiction. Come in. The cabin door slides open, revealing the straight-backed tactical officer, Mackenzie Dickinson, a hollow tablet in her hand. I'm sorry to intrude, Officer McRyan. But I was wondering if we could go over the already discovered areas in our assigned exploratory sector and strategize accordingly. Uh, sure. And you can call me Jocelyn. It's going to be a long trip, and it's just the eleven of us, so no need for titles. That is very kind of you, but you've worked hard for your title. You deserve to be called by it. Officer Dickinson sits on top of Jocelyn's bed carefully her overly proper posture unwavering. I hope you do the same for me. Of course, Officer Dickinson. Jocelyn leaves her seat by the window and joins her on the bed, pretzeling her legs and snuggling deep into her pillows, hugging the quality pillow in her arms. Officer Dickinson taps on the tablet's screen, and a large map projection of the Omega Quadrant solar system appears. It takes up the entire room, bathing everything in a glowing lavender grid. The fifteen discovered planets of the Omega Quadrant float in a rotating ellipse in the center of the projection. The rest of the grid is empty space, dotted with the occasional star. These are the known planets, and all of them belong to the Tritangula Solar System. Three of the planets are inhabitable. Twelve of them are habitable, and life has been discovered. Science officer Novak has informed me that three of these planets have microbial life forms, two with plant-based life forms, four with primitive life forms, and three with fully developed societies. Officer Dickinson taps her hollow tablet a few times. Eight of the twelve planets turn to blazing red. These are the hostile planets. Nante and Torlo are primitive, and Veminent and Imprimi are developed. What is the trajectory Officer Timms has set us on? Jocelyn asks, her eyes studying the map in astonishment. A few more taps on the hollow tablet and a yellow line weaving through the map appears. 
We are on track to explore the northwest quarter of the Omega Quadrant, but we will be passing Vement, and if any of the surrounding planets are anything like Vement, we could be dealing with an active hostile zone. Thoughts? Officer Dickinson finally looks up from her hollow tablet. I'm not sure, Jocelyn says. Her fingers tug at her ear. You're not sure? Officer Dickinson's jaw clenches slightly. Well, Jocelyn says, I need to have more information. What the customs are, what attack patterns they've used in the past, what triggers them, what weapons they use. We can get all that information from the IEF database. That's great, but I can't think that far ahead. There are a lot of unknown factors that could alter the way we think a situation is going to go. Officer Dickinson shoulders tense. So you're the Avalon security officer, and you're suggesting we just wing it? Just go flying into space with no plan? No, I'm saying we should leave some wiggle room? Let's be defensive with our approach, but not so defensive as to not be open to communication or exploration. Does that make sense? Officer Dickinson exhales. Her spine relaxes slightly. Okay. I suggest that we keep our shields up and that whenever we approach a hostile zone or an unknown planet that you and I man the port and starboard artilleries. Agreed. But we must try and communicate first before returning fire, even if we are being fired at. Jocelyn stares at Officer Dickinson. She shifts from her snuggled position, shoulders back, not budging. After a few moments of tense contemplation, Officer Dickinson nods with a sigh. Agreed. But no hesitating if the situation does become hostile. No hesitating. Jocelyn extends her hand to Officer Dickinson. She takes it and shakes it once, firmly. The Avalon soars through the expanse of space peacefully. No planets, no nebulas, no asteroids, nothing. In this great time of nothing, the crew of the Avalon entertains themselves in various ways. Some of them better their minds. Science officer Tamara Novak glides across her lab in the comfort of her wheeled office chair. She is working on a personal project, analyzing the nutritional effects of growing produce in an artificial climate. She picks a strawberry off of the small bush growing out of her indoor garden box. The plant's stem springs back to its original position as she twists off the berry with a snap. She kicks off of the floor and rockets back towards her computer desk. She stops herself and deposits the strawberry onto the bottom platform of a large machine that reads IEF Issue Material Analyzer Model 1340 on a bronze plate screwed onto its face. A bright blue light grid bathes the strawberry, scanning the fruit. The computer begins to display a large amount of data that seems to be endlessly scrolling down. Tamara stretches back and sighs as she waits for the computer to stop receiving data. She turns her attention towards her neglected cup of tea, remembering its existence for the first time since she made it an hour and a half ago. She dares to take a sip, and it's ice cold. With a couple of swears under her breath, she wheels towards the microwave and places the mug inside, setting the timer for a minute. The microwave begins to hum, and 15 seconds in, Tamara's computer dings. 
Tamara pushes back to the desk. Her lips purse and eyes squint as she looks over the data sets. She doesn't hear the microwave's ready beep. Counselor Dominic Torrey sits in the lounge chair of his office, fingering through a rather large manila folder labeled Grace, a Lear. His gaze doesn't leave the folder's contents as he reaches over and grabs a piece of toast covered in cheese spread and places it into his gaping mouth. With a satisfying crunch, crumbs fall into his massive beard. His eyebrows raise as he finds a particularly interesting piece of information. He dusts his fingers off on the upper left of his sweater vest and snags the pen that dangles from behind his ear. Looking away from the file as he leans over towards the stenopad on the lounge chair's armrest and scribbles chicken scratch notes. Some of them catch up on work. Executive Officer Anita Kitts sits at her desk, framed by two very high stacks of paper, work, and files. She reads over a particularly lengthy document, occasionally writing things down throughout, slowly dissecting the piece. She chews on the end of her pen, but the smile still remains on her face. She lightly bobs her head to the rhythm of the pop song that trickles through her speakers. A peppermint-scented candle softly burns behind her. Captain Sarah Wiles sits back, straight as a board, strong-shouldered, in front of the projected image of the higher-ups of IEF command. She answers them in short sentences. They talk for long periods of time. She nods at every sentence, storing every word they say into her memory banks. She peers down under her desk for one moment, rapidly checking to make sure the recorder is still working without being noticed. Some of them build their bodies. Officer Dickinson and Engineer Alir Grace are working out together. Dickinson stands above Alir, spotting her as she bench presses. The weights on the bar are light, yet Alir is working up a sweat. Dickinson yells words of encouragement as Alir's face grows redder and redder. Dickinson's shouting becomes more fervent until Alir lets out a giant scream, throwing up 15 reps in her fury. She and one long exhale, deposits the bar back into its resting position, guided by Dickinson's hands. Alir's arms crumble to the ground. Some of them rest and reset themselves. Jason Lavender sits in the bathtub of his private bathroom. Mounds of bubbles billow around him. Candles of various heights and shapes are lit around the bathroom. A tray lies across the tub, and on it rests a platter of cheese and crackers and a large glass of blush wine. His eyes are glued to the screen that hovers on the wall above his toilet. On the screen is a tragic heroine, with pale skin, puffy lips, and sunken eyes. She is staring wide-eyed as two boys confess their love for her. They are both tall and muscular and attractive but otherwise they are the polar opposite of each other. One of them could pass for the heroine's brother, save for the difference in their hair color. This suitor had straight blonde hair intricately woven into an unkempt-looking pompadour as compared to the heroine's stringy brown mane. The other boy had beautifully dark skin and an amazing smile. His eyes glowed in adoration as he talked about how just the simple thought of the heroine was enough to get him up in the morning. 
the white boy gave a haphazard speech about how deep the connection they shared was when they were together, saying it was electric and filled with passion. Lavender is leaning forward now, heart pounding as the tragic heroine's lips part to reveal the name of her chosen suitor. What the fuck are you thinking, you idiot? On the screen, the heroine's face is being sadly and sloppily eaten by her almost brother's gaping fish mouth. Some of them did something else entirely. Jocelyn, Medical Officer Wells Anderson, and Helm Officer Courtney Timms are in the kitchen. Okay, so the goal is to get this coffee creamer into that double shot glass. Jocelyn points to the neon pink shot glass that sits on the counter a good 40 feet away from where she stands behind Tim's. However, it doesn't count if you leave this chair. Have either of you done this yet? Nope. Nah, Jocelyn responds. But if you make it, you'll be setting the standard for our horse game and you can join us in playing. Aren't I already playing right now? Just take the shot, Tim's. Don't overthink. Okay. Tim's agrees. Jocelyn backs away. The only rule is that I can't leave the chair, right? You can't leave the chair. That is correct, Wells replies. All right. Tim's nods her face, scratching her cheek as she mulls over the correct way to approach the Herculean task in front of her. She adjusts her body, pulling her legs up underneath of herself and coming to a stand on top of the chair's base. In one fluid motion, she aims and launches the creamer cup. It somersaults through the air, taking all the breath and the focus of the individuals in the room along with it. She stands on the tips of her toes as the creamer descends closer and closer to the shot glass and just bounces off the lip of it. Holy shit, that was so close! Jocelyn is on the floor. Wells' hands are clasped over his mouth, his eyes wide in disbelief. All right, me next! Wells crosses the room and reclaims the creamer. Switching places with Tim's. He steps up on the chair immediately and sticks his tongue out as he hovers the creamer in front of his face attempting to aim. Are you going to take all week or what? Tim's heckles. Yeah, Tim's barely took a second and here you are practically singing opera for us. Jocelyn adds. You'll be eating those words as soon as I make it. Wells' voice strains as he launches the creamer cup into a huge arc that lands just in front of the shot class. Oh, man, I sure am hungry. <laughs> Jocelyn roars in laughter. Yeah, I got plenty of room in our stomachs from the words we haven't eaten. Tim snickers with a smile. Wells gets off of the chair, his face pursed in delighted frustration. All right, then, big boss Joss. Since you're talking such a big game, why don't you get up and give it a try? He says, walking back from retrieving the creamer. He tosses it to Jocelyn. Of course. Jocelyn smacks well in the back as she marches towards the chair and steps up onto it. Jocelyn squares her body, shoulders flush with her target, and holds the creamer cup between her eyes. In one quick flick of the wrist, the cup goes spinning in the air, just grazing the lip of the cup, landing into the sink a few feet behind it. Oh, come on! That's gotta count for something! Jocelyn throws her arms about and jumps off the chair with a thud. Yes. It counts for a whole lot of nothing. Wells' grin is as smug, yet still warm. This is stupidly fun. Should we go again? Tim's asks. No, 
our time is done. But a smile crawls on Jocelyn's face. I know of some people who could really use some stupid fun. And now, for some inspiration. sits back in her chair, looking over the state of her compiled and sorted data sets with a slight grin on her face as she finally sips her tea after its third reheat. There is a large bang as something hits her lab door with a hard impact. Tamara jumps, sending several spots of tea flying down the length of her lab coat, decorating her as if she were a brown-spotted Dalmatian. Muffled sounds of laughter precede the rapid knocking on her lab door. Tamara! Tamara! Tamara sets her tea down. Tamara sets her tea down and fumbles for a towel to wipe herself off as she heads over to open the door. Tims and Wells, led by Jocelyn, burst into her laboratory out of breath, red in the cheeks and with goofy grins plastered on their faces. Uh, Oh my god, this looks like trouble. Tamara arches an eyebrow. What's got the three of you in a tizzy? So, I can't leave the chair. Tamara sits on the chair in the middle of the kitchen, rolling the creamer cup between her fingers. You cannot leave the chair, Wells confirms. And I'm supposed to land this creamer into that double shot glass. That is the goal, Tims responds. This is absolutely impossible. There is no way on earth that you can land this into that glass from here. A. We are clearly not on earth. And B. Jocelyn shrugs her shoulders. Tim's almost did it. Yeah, Tim's almost did it. Wells adds. Yep, just bounced it off the glass's rim. Tim's nods. Tamara, without a word, raises her hands above her head and throws the creamer with a wonderful overarm toss. It seems to be dead set on landing in the glass, but last minute drops just to the left of it, landing perfectly upright. I told you no one can do this! Mackenzie! Alir! Tims is beating cheeks as she runs into the gym. Alir is laying on her back, arms spread eagle, and Officer Dickinson stands combatantly over her. Tims stops dead in her tracks at the sight, nearly tripping over herself. Whoa, what's happening here? I'm training Officer Grace. She just completed 50 crunches, Officer Dickinson says. And didn't I tell you to call me Officer Dickinson? I'm sorry, Officer Dickinson. Tims corrects herself and then adds, We need the both of you in the kitchen. ASAP. Uh, I don't want to walk. Alira whines. We can figure something out, Tim says. 
Hey, Dom, Jocelyn shouts outside of the counselor's quarters. Dom, it's Jocelyn. There's no response. Dom, are you in there? There's no response again. Come on, Dom, I really need to speak with you. I I've got a problem that only you can solve. The door swings open, revealing Dominic in a sweater vest, lounge pants, and a pair of slippers. I've been waiting for you to come and open up to me. Now remember, this is a safe space, and that unless it is a danger to the state of the crew, everything and anything you say will stay private, Dom says. Jocelyn stares at Dom with intense scrutiny. What? You only opened the door because I said I had a problem. And what if I just wanted to hang out? Am I just a patient to you? Does our friendship, the state of camaraderie, and this ship mean nothing to you? Well, I was just enjoying my me time. Dom's expression switches. Wait, do you not have a problem? Oh, I have a problem. And it can only be solved by some group bonding. Jocelyn grabs Dom's wrist and begins to pull him down the hallway. Come on! Hey, Lavender. Wells leans outside of Lavender's doorway. Lavender gives the boy a death glare. The door slides shut. Oh, come on, Lavender, don't be like that. Come join us. It'll be fun. Wells presses himself against the door. I'll have plenty of fun in here by myself. Go away. Lavender barks through the door. Please. Wells whines. What are you pleasing Lavender for? Officer Kit walks down the hallway, arms filled to the brim with paperwork. Uh, nothing really. Wells writes himself, coming to an amazingly straight vertical in front of the executive officer. Just trying to get old Lavender to come have some fun with the rest of the crew. Some fun with the rest of the crew, huh? Officer Kit smiles. I don't suppose Captain Wilde and I could join in. Oh, Wells is caught by surprise. Uh, sure. You and Captain Wilde are more than welcome to come. Great. I'm heading to her office right now to drop off these files. Follow me! Officer Kit starts walking down the hall briskly. There is more of a spring in her step than before. Wells falls in line behind her. The kitchen is filled with raucous cheers as Officer Dickinson takes her spot in the chair. She stands at the edge of the chair, high up on her tippy toes, and throws the creamer with a quick hop in the air. The creamer makes a high arch, almost touching the ceiling. But just as things go up, the creamer cup came hurtling towards the ground, a whole foot short of the shot glass. Looks like I'll need to work on my aim. I'll add more basketball shooting, workouts to my regular routine. That should do it. Officer Dickinson steps down off of the chair stiffly. Ooh, you should put one of those plastic basketball hoops over the waste bin in your quarters. Officer Kit encourages. I suppose that would prove beneficial. Officer Dickinson smiles. Thank you so much, Officer Kit. All right, enough of the small talk. Jocelyn shouts with her hands around her mouth. Alir Grace, you are up next. Alir hobbles her way to the chair, muscles stiff and sore from her high-intensity workout. Her shirt is dotted with swatches of sweat. She winces as she collapses on the seat sprawling out after her butt had safely landed. Tim's places the creamer in Alir's open palm. Alir wraps her fingers around the creamer cup and with a heavy flail of her arm, sends the creamer flying. It doesn't get any height and instead smacks against the base of the counter, falling to the floor. 
Please don't make me do it again. My arms are like overstretched taffy. Alir's voice comes out as a groan. All right. Jocelyn runs and picks up the creamer cup. Very good try. Dom, you're up next. Dom starts to walk towards the seat, but stops short. Jocelyn turns back to the chair. Alir, you, you need to get up out of the chair. It's Dom's turn. Please don't make me move. Well, Lentino, Jocelyn calls. Grab another chair. Jocelyn grabs Alir's chair by the back and pulls it out of the way. Wells places another chair in its vacancy. With things back in order, Dom takes his spot at the chair, stepping onto it with caution, bracing himself as he wobbly stands on top of it. It's pretty high up here, Dom remarks. Are you sure this chair is sturdy enough? Just take the shot! 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 Dom lobs the creamer cup. It hits the counter just five inches from the glass and tumbles off. Officer Kit steps up next and stands on the chair with her knees bent under her. She positions her hands above her head like a professional basketball player. She lifts herself as she launches the creamer, trying to create enough momentum. The creamer goes flying through the air beautifully, but unfortunately lands just a bit short of the shot glass. Officer Kit removes herself from the chair and turns to face her applauding audience. Captain! Officer Kit slowly begins to chant, Captain! Captain! The rest of the crew begins to join her, their pace getting faster and faster. The volume of the room raises, and soon it begins to feel as though there is a crowd of thousands upon the small ship. Captain Wilde steps forward, takes her place on the chair, choosing to stand on it. The crowd goes silent as Jocelyn hands the creamer cup to her. She takes the cup in her palm and slowly bends at the knees. She hangs her arms down low and pops up, throwing the creamer through the air granny style. The cup whirls in the air and lands just balanced on the edge of the shot glass. The crew holds their breath as the cup begins to wobble. It leans too far forward and falls outside the glass. Come the fuck on! Captain Wiles seethes. The crowd's lamentation of sympathy stop abruptly. Shocked about their calm and collected leader's outburst, Captain Wile takes immediate notice and turns to face them. I'm sorry for the outburst. But it was just so damn close. We still love you, Captain, Jocelyn shouts, cueing the crew to begin cheering once more. The cheering is so loud that no one hears Lavender enter. What are you guys doing? Lavender barked. I am trying to relax, which is goddamn impossible when the entirety of the ship is screaming like a bunch of desperate housewives in their 50s at a Chippendales knockoff show held at their local fire hall. The beehive rap of a towel on his head quivers in anger. He is a ball of fury wrapped in a pale pink paisley robe. Jocelyn walks up to Lavender without fear. The crowd parts for her death march. She stands in front of him, straight-backed, and extends her arm out towards him, unfurling her fingers to reveal the creamer cup. Take this. You can't leave the chair, and you must get this creamer cup into that double shot glass, Jocelyn says. If you do this, we will be quiet for the rest of the day. You don't even have to make it in. You just have to try. This is nonsense. You're not wrong, Tim's responds. Lavender. Seething with disdain, palms the creamer cup and yanks it out of Jocelyn's open hand. 
He pads over to the chair, bare feet slapping against the tile, his anger propelling him forward. He stands on the chair, sits on the back of it, crossed legs resting on the base of the seat. He takes the creamer cup and quickly launches it with a flick of his wrist across the room. It lands directly into the glass, causing it to ring softly as the creamer shimmies its way down to the bottom. The crew is stunned into silence. Lavender gets off of the chair and walks towards the exit. If I hear one peep from my room, I'll slit your throats. Author's Note Stories I Wrote is an audio archive of the written works of Jack. Jack has been writing all of her life and wanted to give those stories a chance to live. Like our Facebook page, Stories I Wrote, and follow us on Twitter at capital S-I-W-Cast. As always, trigger warnings and interlude titles are listed in the description. And remember, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. So share your stories, share these stories, and as always, thank you for listening.